Hey, welcome to another episode on the People Productivity Channel, a place where you can become the best you. Um, you know, on this channel, we're really dedicated to actually bringing on very, very interesting guests, guests who could share things <clears throat> that will help you about the human side of business and life. And today, I have a really interesting guest, actually. I met Jeff, I don't know, four or five years ago. We were in Vistage together. And he turned out to be in Family Wealth Consulting. And I actually had never heard of that. And I know a lot of people. So I was fascinated. I got to know Jeff. He's an absolutely great guy. There's a lot of very interesting uh, stories, tips, techniques, and things to share. And <clears throat> I think we should just get right into it. You know, Jeff, why don't we open and you can introduce yourself quickly. Okay. No, thanks for having me, Frank. It's, uh, this is great. Yeah. So, Glad you're um, here. I have a niche consulting practice and the quickest way I can describe it, which leaves a lot to be desired, I'll fill in the blanks, but the quickest way I describe it is that I work with families who have accumulated significant wealth and I work with them to ensure that the wealth serves current and future generations in healthy and productive ways. And that's healthy and productive as the family defines it, not some sort of arrogant definition of yeah. you know, healthy and productive that I come up with. But that, that's sort of the most basic way I can describe it. Um, if you have a little, a couple more minutes, I can give you the background and explain how I fell into this. Well, yeah. So listen, I mean, it is a really, really unique niche that you're in. How did you actually come to advise families with wealth? So, you know, I, I work with families that have various kinds of wealth, you know, bit operating businesses. Some don't even have operating businesses. Um, but to go back to the beginning, I come from a business family. My family had a commercial printing business in New York City, and then we had a second business in New Jersey. I kind of grew up in it. I was heavily involved in it. And, um, you know, my dad was a real tough guy to work for. <laughs> and um, I didn't love commercial printing. So between those two things right there, and it's interesting, sometimes you have parents I would, hate, I would hate commercial printing, by the way. Yeah, yeah. worth business for me. So yeah, I, no, I think you made great. the right move. But, but often, you'll, one thing you'll see in family business situations, you'll see uh, the, the, old, the senior generation will push kids to be involved in a business they're not interested in, or yeah. they'll allow kids to come into a business when they have nothing to offer, and it's just an easy way out. Um, for me, there was really no drama. Uh, my parents were always about do what you like. If you don't like this printing stuff, go do your own thing. It was really no drama to it. But I had yeah. the experience of, of sort of working with my mom and my dad. My, neither of my sisters ever set foot in the place because my dad was really tough and they just didn't want any part of it. I don't even know if they ever saw the building where we had uh, our <laughs> stuff in New York City. Um, so I left. Uh, I went into sales and marketing, uh, consumer products and technology. I had a really good run at a young age. But it was really, I had a good run because I liked people and I liked meeting people and it turned into sales and the sales world, um, but it wasn't what really fulfilled me. So I wanted to take something where I could have all this sort of people interaction and, yeah. and I was really interested in people and have what made them tick and families especially. Um, and so I went back to grad school. Um, I went and I got a master of social work degree, which okay. is a clinical degree. I trained to be a, I, I studied family and group dynamics. I uh, trained to be a family therapist. Um, I had a lot of training, and this kind of fits in in an interesting way, which I'll get to, um, a lot of training working uh, clinically, so play therapy with children, young children as mm. young as three. I work with couples, families, um, all, all of that. Um, so I went to grad school, um, got that training, um, became basically a shrink in private practice. This is going back about 25 years, and I really thought mm. I had my career. I really 
really thought this was it. And it was only by coincidence that I had some, some very wealthy families come for therapy. They were coming for couples therapy or mm -hmm. the teenager was out of control, um, but they had significant wealth. So one in particular had, it was a, a, an Israeli entrepreneur who cashed out at the billion dollar level, billion mm -hmm. with a B, and he was there for just couples counseling, but there was a lot of ways in which the money was affecting how they raised their kids his relatives, her relatives, all the people that wanted to sort of loans and favors. Oh, yeah. My God, that is a lot of money. So I can only imagine the complexity that comes with that, right? And the drama. Yeah, yeah. and I was just here, I was helping them with their marriage, but I was hearing all this other stuff. Another family, again, they came to me because they had a, a teenager acting out, but I heard the parents talking about they were taking over a business from his father and the father retired and was getting all of his retirement money from the two of them which was a lot of pressure on them and yeah. i heard a lot of the dynamics and i said wow there's something here that pulls on my business experience my family yeah. business experience my corporate sales marketing experience but business experience but it also pulls on family dynamics and psychological training that i had and i felt like there was a need for a professional that wasn't necessarily a shrink but also yeah. wasn't uh, like a, an attorney or an accountant or an MBA type business consultant. Trusted advisor someone, or something? Someone who was in between helping families that were, were sharing assets, wealth, a business um, across generations and helping them to deal with the family dynamics and make decisions and develop leaders. And that's yeah. how I got into this. So, I mean, that's, you know, you're the true entrepreneur. You saw a business opportunity and started to pursue it. And congrats to you for that. Because this is really is an incredibly specialized niche, right? Yeah. So what kind of family situations do you end up getting involved in? So, you know, some of the families have a business. Maybe the parents are thinking about bringing their kids in and they want to sort of think through the best way to set that up and who should be involved and who shouldn't. Sometimes there's a business and it's in the second or third generation and the next generation is coming up and you know, families grow exponentially. So two parents can have three kids and if they each have a few kids, suddenly you've got 15, 20 people uh, and the same small business, possibly small yeah. or if it's big, um, they might be able to handle it, but the families grow faster than most businesses do. And so, um, so, you know, uh, sometimes in the third or fourth generation, you can have 50, 60 people. I've worked with families where there's been over a hundred cousins that had to make decisions about a business they own. Mm. I don't even know how many people know, you know, 99 of their cousins, let alone own something with them. So one situation is, is a, fa a family business where there's an actual business. Yep. Then I work with families that have significant wealth. A lot of times there was a business and they sold the business. But now the descendants inherit uh, large amounts of money and there's trust. There might be real estate shared by a lot of people and families mm -hmm. need to sort of, they need to teach the younger generation about the kind of family they are and what they own and how it works. They need to raise them in a way that they can be responsible with it. They need leadership, just like a, an actual operating business needs a leader. These kinds of families need leadership too. People who are going to take control, help grow the assets, help, communicate with the entire family ownership group about what's going on and and what the dynamics are so that they can make informed decisions mm -hmm. so we have the business families and then the like the legacy wealth families i'll call them where there's no business and then i have this specialty niche where i work with especially when this is multi-generational wealth and, and yeah. people know that it's going on for generation to generation i will work with 
uh, couples before they even have children to start to think through how do you communicate and how do you raise even young children in a way that they'll be able to handle this and it won't ruin them because inheriting a lot of money can really wreck somebody's life. Ruined, it's ruined many, many, many people. Many yeah, people. depression, the money. anxiety, substance abuse, suicide, these things are sure. high and significant. Well, so I had this niche part of my practice where I work with couples before they even have children and, and when their children are in elementary and middle school, I have this program called the Purposeful Legacy Family Project, where I, I work with parents alone at first and kind of get them comfortable. And then I bring in, um, you know, seven, eight-year-olds, sometimes 12, 13-year-olds, sometimes 20-year-olds, and yeah. start yeah. to help them open the conversation. Because a lot of times parents ignore it, hoping, hoping magically right. something good will happen. And actually, that's probably the best time to start. Sooner the better, probably I would the think, right? What's that? I would say sooner the better, right? The sooner the better, yeah, yeah. People think I'm crazy when I talk about talking to parents before they even have children, but you're not gonna to talk to a three or a five-year-old or even an eight-year-old about, about you know, financial statements, but you, you do need to think about raising children that are responsible, uh, that are accountable, mm -hmm. that are, you know, you don't wanna spoil them. You don't wanna, poor people don't wanna spoil their kids, but it's not as dangerous because poor people, the kids are gonna have, reality is gonna hit them sooner or later. Yeah. The spoiled kids who have access to wealth and will have inheritances, there's a safety net that's actually too powerful and, and they can make any mistake and not have to really feel the consequences of it. It's more dangerous um, to have a spoiled child who has access to yeah. money. Like I said, the poor, the poor kid is going to have to deal with reality and, and sort of get a job. There's no safety net there. I have, uh, I have worked with people with large trust accounts, and they've been very, very, a great variety of characters, some of them who really were irreverent about stuff because they just weren't, you know, they just weren't raised right, and uh, they were problematical. But so what, what inspires you about what you do? That's a good question. You know, there's some, re there's some situations where there's really strong love between the family members and, and, mm -hmm. and the, va the value for family is really high. And they really um, raise the kids in a way that everyone's expected to contribute and be mm -hmm. responsible and give back to the community. And to, to help families like that successfully transition one generation to the next, stay connected as a family and, and sure. grow a business, because there's, there's both. Families that hire me, they want to stay close as a family, and that's not guaranteed when there's money and business involved. Yeah. And they also want to grow the business. So what inspires me is when I get a call from a family where there's really no big conflict, and they're just like, we've been successful, we're in our second or third generation, but things are getting complicated. Can you help us to avoid the pitfalls that can tear apart our business and family? And to be a part of that, is it's really inspiring and it's uh, it's thrilling for me. Yeah, to be a trusted advisor in that situation must be extremely interesting because those are those are delicate situations and done wrong. Let's face it, you can really cause some damage. What about? And speaking of damage, what are the upsetting parts of this? Um, you know, sometimes um, I come in and there is heavy conflict and and people are not willing to sort of make the sacrifices to, to work together as a team. And that's, that's fine. You know, yeah. there's almost like a judgment when family businesses decide to split up and go separate ways. Some families sell the business. Sometimes one, one part of the family buys out other parts. Um, 
but it really shouldn't be. It's hard to have a family business go from generation to generation. And there's no shame in saying, we don't want to spend this much time together, or I don't like having a business where I've got to deal with 10 or 15 or 20 other family yeah. members. Um, but but it, it, can get, it can get pretty painful and ugly. And I've seen uh, several, many situations where families uh, were no lo- longer talking and they called me in and I'm really limited in what yes. I can do for them. If they had called sometimes a year earlier, sometimes 10 years earlier, there would have been some, some basic things that we could have done that would have avoided this. And so that's, that's pretty, pretty rough to see how things can go awry. Yeah, yeah, they're coming in, uh, calling you in much too late. So, uh, you know, you've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. So what are kind of the key pitfalls and how can people avoid them? You know, it all starts, like I said, I'm big on starting young. So yeah. even, with, you know, young kids, um, when, there's a, when there's a successful family business that looks like it's going to be around when they're, you know, out, out of college, if they go to college, um, to talk to the kids early about, teach them about the business, who took the risks, how it was started. Tell them not just about the successes, but also about the struggles and the failures yeah. and the, the loans and the mortgages on the house and being afraid if you were going to lose your house because of the risks you were taking. Really let them know how hard it was. And, and also to let really young children know if you want to be part of this one day, you're going to have to really try hard in school. And you're going to have to prove to us, maybe working in the summers when you're older, prove to us that you can make this an even better business. This is something I tell families all the time. Now, a lot of families don't start this early, but when you do it, it's really that simple. Making sure that family members know this is not a welfare state. This is not charity. That this is, we we have non-family members who are are relying on us for their income and to, to feed their families and to pay their mortgages. And we care about them. And so if you want to be part of this, mm-hmm. you've got to show that you can really contribute. Your answer was about the pitfalls. The pitfalls is when, yeah. when you don't do that. And then you, family businesses, they're infamous for allowing people who don't have much to offer an easy way to get a nice salary, sometimes a crazily high salary, sure. but without, without the skill. And that's, that'll tear apart any business when you give a lot of money or even a moderate amount of money to someone who really doesn't deserve to be there. That's one. Another pitfall is, you know, you should be thinking about succession the, the, the first time a, a kid comes into the business or, yeah. you know, every, any sooner time the better. Business. what's that? Sooner the better. <laughs> sooner the better. It's my motto. Um, you know, really start thinking about, okay, there's, you know, four cousins, five cousins or a bunch of siblings or siblings and their cousins working here. How are we going to decide 20 years from now, who's going to be the leader? Mm-hmm. And is that even something we're going to be able to decide? And do we need to think about getting a non-family CEO and maybe thinking about being just a family ownership group? So maybe you guys go get your own job somewhere else and you just work as an ownership group working with a board to oversee a non-family CEO. You don't have to make the decision when kids are in their teens, when kids are in high sure. school, but you're, you're planting seeds that we have some tough decisions coming up ahead. And these are some of the possibilities rather than waiting until you know the next generation's in their 50s and fighting over who gets to be CEO um, at, you know and, and you have a year to try to figure it out because the CEO's you know sick or just died yeah. and 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 no one no one's prepared right right the earlier the better yeah i mean is there research into family wealth transfers you know, there is some research. Um, one, uh, so Roy Williams um, is kind of a well-known guy in this field. He has a book called Preparing Heirs, H-E-I-R-S, Heirs, People Who Inherit. And he did some research 
where he, you know, a lot of people come up with this number, 70% of family businesses fail and, and, and make it to the next, you know, only 30% yeah. make it to the next generation. Then it goes down to 12%. Then it goes down to 3%. That's one bit of research he found. Uh, and what's interesting about that first bit, um, that, that first 70% fail and then 30%, 12%, 3% make it. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's really well known. And I know the guy that did that research and I spoke to him. And what's interesting about that is um, he doesn't know how many, um, so, so I use the word fail and a lot of people out yeah. there use the word fail. The truth is he didn't use the word fail. So I, I made a mistake by using that word because really what he yeah. said was cease to exist. And hmm. when I called him, he said, um, a lot of people use the word failure and it's not really appropriate because he doesn't know how many of those family business that cease to exist in those numbers, um, how many of them sold for a profit or great money and went on to do other things. So to call them a failure yeah. when actually they sold it, um, and that's kind of a bias in the family business world. A lot of families, like I said earlier, it's almost like a, a shame or a failure if you have a successful family business and then you sell it. You might sell it because people aren't getting along. You might sell it because people just want to do something different. But that's one bit of research. Another bit of research by Roy Williams, who wrote the Preparing Heirs mm -hmm. book. Sorry for the little tangent there. Yeah, yeah, um, no problem. I mean, it's all it's all very interesting. These are things people don't normally think about. They don't encounter. Yeah. Most of us, you know, aren't really dealing with this huge wealth that we're passing on and, yep. you know, have a lot of planners. So it's fascinating. Cool. Um, I'm, I'm glad you like it. So the Roy Williams research, he found that number 70% fail, fail. But he went ahead and said, let's not stop there. Let's look at the, the ones that failed, right? And his, he, he, he weeded out the ones that actually sold their businesses okay. for money. His definition was uh, involuntary loss of control of the assets. So you wanted to keep them and they no longer exist. And mm -hmm. those failures he researched. And he found out that 85% of the failures, if you take all the failures, right? People who no longer have the family business that, that, or the wealth that they wanted to keep alive. Um, 85% of those failures were explained. 60% was uh, lack of communication and trust. And 25% was just a failure to really develop, intentionally develop the next generation so that they knew what they were coming into and that they could handle it. That explained 85% of the failures. And he even researched the technical professionals, accountants, attorneys, things yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And mistakes by those folks were less than 3%. Uh, it was really very rare. It really comes down to open communication and taking a long-term view and really de intentionally developing the next generation and holding them to high standards if they want to participate. I mean, this shows the power of collaboration, open and honest dialogue with one another, candor. You know, many of the exact same things that drive success in the business itself. You know, they've got a successful business. And, you know, when you look at why, you know, projects fail, programs fail, things that fail where humans are involved, these are the issues, oftentimes, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's this human complexity that uh, really slips into it. I like, you know, I really like the notion of uh, starting early. And I think it's fascinating. What can you teach young kids about, you know, business and money? Yeah, so, and again, often it's not so much about money, although that becomes part of it, but early on, it's really just, a lot of it's the family story. So a lot of the families I work with, they came from poverty or working class backgrounds. And yeah. if they didn't, they knew the grandfather who did. And so okay. helping, 
helping families to tell the young children about the stories, like I said earlier, not just the good parts, but also um, the struggles. And there's actually research to show that children who really understand a lot about their family history are emotionally healthier and stronger. Um, mm -hmm. There's uh, research, and I'm blanking on the researchers' names, but I can get them for you, a, a Duke and Five-ish. Um, and they actually had this thing called 20 questions. And, and they're questions about the history of the family. You know, where, where did your mom and dad meet? Where were your grandparents born? The, the, yep. the higher percentage of these questions that a young child or any child can answer correctly, um, it correlates with emotional health and resilience. So no, understanding family history is a, is a real emotional strength. And in family businesses, it's even more important so that they're not just, you know, thinking like, okay, I'm coming in and I'm going to be so, you know, president of this company because I want it. It's, there's a whole legacy of people that worked really hard to create what, what's here, the business and maybe just the family. And I'm proud to be a part of it. And I want to, I want to, you know, really keep up the values of the family. So, yeah. so just telling stories to young kids is, is one thing. Yeah, fascinating. And do you use some of this, you know, research and the findings and your own experience to help parents overcome the fear of making their kids lazy, like having the yeah. money? Yeah. So, so a lot of parents are afraid, you know, especially where there's significant wealth. You know, when you start getting up into, you know, 30, 40, 50 million in, in, you yeah. know, in, in liquid or investable assets aside from even the business, um, parents are really afraid if they talk about it in any way that the kids are going to say, okay, I don't have to try in school. I just wait till I get an inheritance and I go to Hawaii and smoke pot and surf all day, right? That's yep. what the parents are thinking of. Um, and so I, I really talk about the sort of the research that I just told you about telling, you know, the, the family history and stuff. Um, when I start with these parents that want to open the conversation with, say, high school age kids, um, maybe the kids have seen, this is an actual client, the, the parents know that the kids saw them going from, sort of a, a middle-class house in a middle-class town mm -hmm. to a really big house on a mountain in a super wealthy area. They know the kids yeah. aren't stupid to go from public school to a, an expensive private school, but they weren't talking about it and they knew they needed to. So one of the things I say to the parents is, we're not gonna talk about money. We're gonna just talk about how you guys were really poor um, in the country that you grew up in and came to America, studied really, really hard, got scholarships, went to grad school, and sort of were able to, to get jobs where you could learn a lot more, save your money, and start a business. We're, gonna, we're not going to talk a lot about money. We're going to talk about the history, the value of education for this particular couple. Um, yep. And when you, when you sort of take money out of it, and you're just talking about the family history and the struggle and the value of, you know, for this family, education was a value, and giving back to people who are less fortunate was something that was already built into their lives you help them realize, hey, we're already doing a lot of the right things. We're showing our kids yeah. that you need to be appreciative for what you have. You need to share it with people who have less in this case. Um, we worked hard and education is important. They've already done a lot of the right things. So yeah. letting, letting them know that you don't have to show them your financial statements, you know, goes a long way. Yeah, 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 yeah. And honestly, you know, for anybody listening in, especially people with families, pride in who you are, where you come from, you know, that self-esteem that you get out of that is just something that every parent should be sharing with their kids, I think. Yeah, absolutely. In reality. I'm sorry, 90% of what I do with wealthy parents and their kids is just as useful for poor parents and their kids. Yes. Um, you know, it's just basic good parenting, but there is that trickiness of 
the poor family reality is always there and you have to work hard or you're going to you're going to be hurting when there's wealth and an inheritance it's possible to not work hard and not feel the consequences and that's where the danger is yeah and that is uh, that is a real danger you know many lives are derailed over money yep. uh, no question about it so you know teaching the young kids you know i see that you know i can imagine the parents having concerns over doing that right how about the senior generation what do they worry about now they're old and they've got all this money. Yeah, a, a lot of times they just feel like we worked really hard for this. And while they often, they wanna be generous, um, they, they, they wanna spend time, a, a lot of the families I work yeah. with, they wanna be generous with their time, they wanna have experiences, they wanna go on vacation, but they don't necessarily wanna give massive amounts to mo of money to people who didn't work hard to create it. And they're mm -hmm. concerned that doing that, and it's not out of selfishness, it's not out of, you know, some kind of greed, it's mine and I don't want you to have sure. it. It's out of fear because it, it, it really can go right. It can prevent people from really pursuing, um, you know, what, what, what is gonna make them satisfied in life. And life satisfaction comes from taking on difficult things, working really hard, having some failures, having some successes, yeah. and ultimately having maybe some more successes than failures. That's where self-esteem comes from. And they, they're right that making it too easy, giving too much money, unearned money can, can be harmful, harmful. So they're worried about that. They're worried if they give a business to the next generation that it's gonna lead to fighting and harm. Yep. Um, they're often concerned, how do we, if we have to pick someone in the next generation uh, to be a leader, um, how do we do that without hurting feelings? Uh, but we also want to keep the business successful. And a lot of these families are really committed to their non-family employees. So I hear a lot, you know, I want to give this to my, you know, my son who's been here for a long time, but I don't think he can handle it. And even when I'm not here, I want to make sure that our non-family employees that have been with us for 30, 40 years and made us successful, I want them to be protected. And I don't think my son or my daughter is the one to do it. So those yeah. are some really tough, scary parts for these senior folks that they have to think through. And it's it brings the, the, the edge of family relationships and business success right to a head. And, and uh, I've seen it go a lot of different ways. Well, how many, how many of uh, the rich families that you work with take the you know, Warren Buffett route and say, I'm going to leave the kids a million dollars, I'm giving the rest to charity because I don't want their lives ruined by money. Do you see that happen often? You know, the Warren Buffett example comes up a lot yeah. in these kinds of situations. I think he gave his kids a lot more than that. That's frequently quoted, right. but, and I'm not sure how much was direct access to. I think he, you know, when you, when you have a billion and you only give your kid a hundred million, it sounds like you didn't give them much, but still a hundred million, excuse me. And I forget the exact numbers, but I think they got more than, than people think. Yeah. Um, but you know, so, some families, some families really commit to, um, to philanthropy. Um, and they really give a lot of way. They set up foundations. They encourage the kids to be involved in the foundations and vetting people who are, you know, making requests of the foundation. Um, and they'll still give, you know, maybe five or 10 million, which, you know, 10 million isn't what it used to be. It's certainly yeah. a nice amount of money. But, um, you know, between, you know, having kids that go to college and a home and, you know, the rest of life, um, it's sort of a more reasonable amount. And they'll give you know, 90 million or a couple hundred million into charity or into a foundation. Other families, um, and again, it depends how the kids are developed and, and what their interests are. Other families say, hey, you know what? Our kids are responsible. They've gotten degrees at good schools. They've gotten MBAs. They're not only contributing to our family business, uh, but they have 
creative entrepreneurial ideas they're pursuing on their own and they're looking for family money to do it, we trust these guys and we're going to let them know that our value is to give back to society in some way and we hope they still do it, but we're going to give them large chunks of money because they're responsible and they mm -hmm. can really grow it and create jobs and employ more people. So I've seen, I've seen it go either way. You could do um, good in life. You know, I remember reading one time about a gentleman that had set up a trust and he was very worried that, you know, his son was, I don't want to call him a deadbeat, but let's just say that for this, uh, for the <laughs> sake of this interview. And he set up a trust where all the money was left in trust and paid out to the son that, you know, every time the son earned a dollar, he got a dollar out of the trust. Right. Yep. I've seen that kind of thing too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah huh? So yeah, what does it end up? What does it look like when uh, when parents don't do this when the kids are young? Where do you what do you see happening? Um, you see a lot of different things. Um, you know, depending on so if they don't do this when kids are young and they give them ac easy access to money, um, they can get in a lot of trouble. You know, it's easy to to get to get into drugs and mm -hmm. to buy fast cars and 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 not really try hard in school because you don't feel like you need to. And yeah. They can, to some pretty rough situations with depression and and other kinds of mental health issues and or just not having a fulfilling life and hoping that the money doesn't run out when these kids get older. Um, what, what was the initial question? What happens? Oh, and parents don't do the right yeah, thing. When they don't do it when the kids are young. I mean, because later yeah. on now, uh, you know, maybe they didn't have those conversations and now people have expectations that yeah. need to be reset. I mean, yeah. it's got to get ugly. Yeah, no, it's really hard. I, I was talking to a guy last year, a 92-year-old guy, came from total poverty, um, worked unbelievably hard, made some really good decisions, and he was worth a few hundred million when I talked to him at 92. He came from complete yeah. poverty. Um, and out of the goodness of his heart, right, his heart was in the right place. He wanted to be generous to his kids, so he gave both of his sons $500,000 a year jobs at this real estate development company, but he never taught them how to be a good real estate developer. Mm. And so there were non-family employees that were running the company, um, but the sons were really just losing money on the deals that they did and the non-family people were working around them. And then his grandkids, so his son's kids, he gave them money all the time, gave them no-show jobs in high school where they got paid and they didn't have to oh, show wow. up. When they turned 17, they got any car that they could name. And these kids picked nice cars and got them. Um, he was paying for college, but none of them made it through college because they just didn't have that drive. They just didn't have the resilience. Yeah, no hunger. They never had to work for anything. And he was in tears. And so you talk about reset. Sometimes it's too late to reset. And so he, he had a really big, tough situation. Um, I, I wound up not even being engaged in that one it was sort of a one-time consult with this guy and he was um really sad and that's that's sort of the unfortunate you would ask me some of the more painful things i see um, and he did it he, his heart was in the right place he didn't want his kids and grandkids to have yeah. the rough you know kind of life in poverty that he did. I mean, he had it really really rough so he felt like i'm making sure that you don't have to have that but there is such a thing as making life too easy uh, kids need to be challenged they need to be held yeah. accountable They've got to be, uh, they they gotta be driven, motivated, because there's yeah. a lot to overcome in life for everybody. Yeah. You know, well, one way hopefully. Or another. Yeah, hopefully. hopefully. Because if there isn't a lot to overcome, if it's too easy, you, you, you're, you're not going to have the experience that leave you feeling good about yourself and knowing that you can handle life.
life yeah. parents in a way a parent's job is to make life challenging enough not too challenging that a kid is hopeless and gives up but challenging enough that they um are pushed to see what they're made of and they have to do difficult things and then they get to feel good about it if it's yeah. all just easy breezy um they don't get that you know it's the exact same thing nurturing an employee you want to give them work that's challenging but not too challenging if it's not challenging at all they feel they're not going anywhere if it's too challenging then in fact they can you know become you know disinfatuated with the work but right. if it's the right level of challenge they can get in a state of flow and actually become a real big producer for you yeah um you know it's um you know it's fascinating when i you know when i when i look at this whole area and imagine the conflicts that you've had to help resolve what what kind of strategies do you use to resolve conflict uh yeah. intense family situations yeah so a lot of it is coming up with some basic ground rules and i have each family come up with their own ground rules but how do we want to communicate how do we want to act when we sit in a room together to have these tough conversations with this sablob guy and every family comes up with their own list but they're great lists and they include things like um, and every family knows the elements of it. I've never had to like yes. spell it out. They, 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 they understand it. It's just sitting them down to do it. So it's like being respectful, no yelling or cursing, listen to other people's ideas. Even if you don't agree, try to understand them and keep an open mind about them. And we come up with these ground rules that always make sense. And it's in the family's own words. And then we start to dig into some of the tough conversations around whatever it is their issue might be. But just giving them some basic ground rules up front, sitting mm -hmm. them down. Now, I've been a family therapist for 25 years, so yeah. I have a, a whole skill set around helping people to do this and facilitating it. But it basically comes to down to a, you know an agreement that we are going to have these tough conversations. We're not all going to get our way, but we're going to be respectful. We're going to keep an open mind, and they don't know they're not always respectful. Sure. They are not always open minded. I recently had to sit between two brothers that were really close to blows. Um, and, and sort of had to be like, almost like a bouncer. Um, but th that's one of the things. And, you know, and, and the other part of conflict has to do with helping the family to articulate what their, if they have a goal as a family group, yeah. mm -hmm. and if they do, you're in a good place. If they don't, you just help them to understand that a lot of the conflict that you're having is because you don't want the same thing. So can you get on the same page or do you consider going separate directions? And a lot of times when it comes down to, mm -hmm. I think we want different things, we'd like to go in separate directions, there's a sense of guilt that either the parents or the grandparents or the great-grandparents had this dream that everybody stays together for a zillion generations, sure. and there's a sense of guilt. So the right decision for them um, can be difficult if they feel like they're abandoning somebody who passed away 50 or 100 years ago, and that, that can be pretty tricky. You know, when you, uh, when you look at, this area. I mean, all of this makes incredible sense. You know, how many, what percentage of families actually do it proactively and do the right thing, you know, and how many are caught up on the other hand, trying to correct the bad situation? That's a, that's a tough question. Yeah, um, maybe there may be no answer to that. I mean, you know, that's research, right? But well, unfortunately there's an answer. <laughs> and I talk to a lot of colleagues I'm involved with professional associations for people who do what I yeah. do. And yeah, certainly the majority are, are in some kind of pain when they reach out. And sometimes it's severe, but people generally wait till they're in pain to reach out. Um, more recently, there's a whole, just a whole body of knowledge and there's 
there's university-based family business centers where families can go and be members with other families and learn about this stuff. Big investment banks are uh, have whole departments with family therapists that are serving families. So families are getting the message. There are things you can do to deal with whatever kind of wealth you have um, proactively. And so I am, you know, recently I got a call. In the last five years, I'm getting many more calls for people who are saying something like, you know, things are going well, here's, we're in our second or third generation, but we could see it getting really, really tough. Um, can you help us to avoid mm -hmm. the common pitfalls? That's wonderful. So it's, and that's increasing. Most of the people who call me are in um, moderate or significant pain. Hmm. You know, some of these situations are probably very, very complex because there are a lot of other advisors in, in these, well, in supporting these wealthy families. Do you get involved with some of these other advisors? And if so, how do you team with them? What do you do? Yeah, yeah and that, that's, that's a real interesting part of the complexity is when, I, when I'm introduced to a family, I always want to meet their accountant, their attorney, their, their other primary advisors, their wealth manager, um, because those are people that have respected roles. And I want them to know, I don't do what you do. I need your help. And if we yeah. all work together, we can help the family achieve what they want to achieve. So I let them know that I'm not pushing them out and that I'd like their help. Um, and, um, if the family's not happy with their current advisors or they feel like they're not doing, you know, what, what the family would like, I can certainly bring in people I know and make introductions, but it's so critical, critical that these families, there's so much complexity, um, that you need to have a, a real team working together, yeah. you know, attorney, accountant, trusted estate attorney, a business transactional attorney, wealth manager, insurance person. There's, there's so many pieces to figuring it out. And when a family, I, you know, I come in, I help families really understand the dynamics of having a business yeah. going to generation to generation. Um, and, you know, when, when I help them figure out where they want to go, whether they want to stay together or separate or have, you know, a family member CEO or not. A lot of legal member, matters. What, uh, legal, tax, all the other players have to be involved. And so it, it's really crucial. N not all not all professionals play well together. I'm sure you've seen sure. out there in the real world. Well, how do you uh, how do you collaborate with difficult people? Because that that's the reality. Some of them are probably like, I don't want this guy anywhere near what I'm doing. Right? right. He's right. a he's a risk to me. Please, you know, stay away. Right. So the number one thing I do, and that happens all the time, is I like I said, I introduce myself up front. Mm -hmm. I let them know I don't do what you do. But even mm -hmm. still, there are people that feel like, hey, I've been here for a long time. Why why do they need you? But I do bring a separate skill set. So I have some, you know, ways of, of trying to get around that and get them to, um, you know, sort of develop some trust. I'll invite them into some of the meetings. They can yeah. see for themselves that I'm not doing what they do. I'll ask for their expertise in a meeting and they can feel part of things. Um, also, up front, I let the families know when they hire me, you really need to explain why you hired me and let your professionals know that you expect that them to be part of a team and that we'll all work together for their goals. And those things can, can go a long way. Yeah, and I would say that if the family sets the expectations, then it is really on that other advisor to collaborate. And if they don't, hey, then there are consequences perhaps, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's true. Yeah. So, you know, what you do is is really a very, very important niche. Um, and I think most of what you do, you know, it's about life and families and people working together. And this is a unique situation where it is a lot more sensitive because you know, people put off having those important and real conversations that need to be had early on in life, setting expectations, raising kids right, and 
you know, I think, you know, many kids don't get raised right, but the consequences in this case, you know, there are other angles to it. So um, how could people get in touch with you if they want to learn more or just learn about your services? Yeah, um, I have a website, blumandsavlov.com, uh, B-L-U-M-A-N-D-S-A-V-L-O-V.com. You can Google me, Jeff Savlov, S-A-V-L-O-V. That's the best way. I have case studies on my website and articles and things I've written in mm -hmm. places where I'll be speaking and you know a lot of different information if people want it. Yeah, no, that's great. And um, I do encourage, I know Jeff personally, he's a great guy. Um, nice. You know, certainly if you're considering services in this area, he's trustworthy, and I think he would do a great job. Anything you want to share before we end? No, just uh, thanks for having me. And I, I find families fascinating and resilient and strong, and it's just the backbone of our society. And when families take the time to just sort of nurture themselves as a family, um, I think the results are amazing. And when there's a business or wealth involved, it really takes a little bit of extra work, but it can be just a wonderful, positive thing. Yeah. Super. So listen, thanks so much for coming on and sharing a lot of your life experience and what you do for work with them. All the best to you, buddy. Take care.